Hey everyone, welcome to the Elm City Vineyard. Glad that you're here. We are going through a series called The Power of Our Stories. The Power of Our Stories. And it's been a time for us to just really think about how we connect with God through a bigger story than the story of our own lives. And also, we have a story, and we can see if those two things go together. We've been using this verse, Revelation 12, 11. It's from the last book of the Bible. And it's this interesting verse that says, they triumphed over the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In the first week, I shared about how it's interesting that there's an and next to this like really amazing, fantastic offering of a sacrifice and Jesus giving himself, even giving his own blood. And the and is the word of our testimonies, our own stories. There's something about the way that God's work can move in our stories that it seems like tells and echoes of this bigger story of God. Now, I wonder if it's okay if I share a few stories with you now. These aren't stories that really connect with the rest of the talk. They're, they're in the story theme, but they're just stories from this week for me. Um, I was sharing uh, about the power of stories in a different ministry context, and I was reading this passage, then we read uh, uh, another story. It's from uh, a letter that Paul writes to Timothy, and in it he just shares his story, like his kind of biography, uh, in three to five sentences. So he shares who he is, not just the, you know, clean version of it. He's like, I did some bad stuff. Like, I wasn't a good guy. But there's things that Jesus did. It's like because of the mercy he received, that's how his story changed. And then I asked people to share their story in about three to five sentences. They had time to write. I think if I just asked them to come up and say, I think it would have been like three to five Maybe not hours, but it would have been longer, right? And then people did. A woman who was in her 70s shared how she had not really been following God at all. She was turned off by religion. She lived most of her life, you know, apart from God. And then she said, like a light, kind of coming back into my life, I found God. And in that, I found a deeper joy. And I'm actually in a relationship with Jesus. And even though I'm older, I still find that finding him, knowing him now is meaningful. There's another person that shared, I'm the son of two heroin addicts, and that's what my story became too. But God rescued me. I'm no longer addicted. I'm learning how to accept God's love and to be freed. Then we went on just a few stories more. And it was really surprising how in just a few minutes of them writing and then us sharing, all of a sudden someone was building around the room. And I think it was kind of trust that God might make a difference in our lives, maybe faith that God is good. And then I changed the assignment. We moved to what I call present tense testimonies. I talked about that a few weeks ago. You know, not I once was lost and now I'm found, but I'm still lost. Like I'm, you know, I don't know what's going on and here's where I'm at. And I had people do that exercise too. 
you could tell it got a little real for these folk. I think they might have been a little bit more from a religious setting. So they were like, yeah, like I got my story. I once was lost. But it's like, wait, no, what are you struggling with right now? You kind of see they're like, ooh, I thought I just gave my story. Like, that's the one I always use. Like, now what do I have? And so people went to writing. And I just said, because I felt it was a little bit more vulnerable. I was like, just in tables, you can share. So people started to share. I said, I'm just going to hover around and listen. One woman started saying, anxiety that I'm feeling is closer than God's presence. I'm struggling to see how God's at work in my life. She could like kind of barely finish. And then there was like a pause. And you could tell the group was just going to be like, that was intense, but let's keep going. I was like, wait, can we pray for you? Can we pray for you right now? This is part of what Todd and the other prayer ministers will teach us next week. And so as we said, come Holy Spirit, this woman started to quietly tear up and then kind of in an instant get a little bit louder, like something was being released, like an anxiety I think that was so close was now being demonstrated as if it was like almost like alive. And we started to pray for her and see peace come over her. It didn't uh, kind of happen all at once, but it was almost like there was like healing that was leaking and then she kind of caught a flow of it and it happened more and more and more. I'm so glad we just didn't settle for the I once was lost and now I'm found, but also went deeper into what's going on right now. And I hope here at ECV we're always pressing into both. Stories of what God has done that we can celebrate, that we can share, especially for others that might be wanting to see what does God do when you're struggling with addiction? What does God do when you're 60 and you didn't go to Sprouts or Roots and you're just learning about Jesus. Those are encouraging stories. But also we all have something present that God's working on in us. Always a chance for God to move on our behalf. And there's a word that I heard then that I think is for now too. And it's just a simple phrase. There's healing for our stories. I just want to hold that out for you today. There is healing for our stories. And we're going to talk about our stories in a particular way today. That's kind of where we're going uh, for the next few weeks Last week, we talked about an invitation to a story of trust. This week, it's invitation to a story of calling. Next week, invitation to a story of suffering. Please still come. I'd like for you to come that day. I know trust and calling are more exciting, but please, please come next week. It'll be good. And then invitation to a story that's more than just us, more than just our individual lives. So today, we're going to look at calling. And part of what I hope that we'll see today is there's healing for us in our calling. And I know that this is a fraught topic, right? When we think about calling, sometimes we act like finding our calling is magic. Like it just happens like one day, like it's a beautiful day. There's the sun. We're like, I know exactly what I want to do. Praise the Lord, right? Maybe, you know, there's a phrase. We don't usually use it with calling. It's more like do what you're, you would do what you love. But it's like do what you love, then you'll never work another day in your life. Do what you're called to, then you'll never work another day in your life. Everyone here is like, that's a lie. This was like a great like resonant chorus. Like that wasn't a worship song, but you all have agreed. No, that is not true. Sometimes we also tell stories where people smacked up in the middle of their lives, they find their calling through some spectacular event. And I think there's a reason why we like those stories, because I think we want that to happen to us. But I think those stories are also dangerous because I'm not sure if that's how we know how we're called or that we're called. 
Some of you guys know that I like superhero films, superhero stories. Not embarrassed by that. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not, but I just felt like saying it that way. But there's, there's some of these genres, uh, like, like in the superhero genre, that's a little bit tricky for me, even when I like some of the characters. And it's definitely bad if we start comparing it to our own lives. Um, it's a story where there's not like a bigger character arc of why something happens to someone. Like they just get bit by a radioactive spider. Like it's not like there were like particular challenges they had or like things in their background or like a way that like the first act of the story is like really compelling. Like, like a spider got loose and it bit them. Like that's what happened, right? Or maybe you're in a lab and like lightning hits you or like a particle accelerator. Like nothing else about like their parents, you know, their ethnicity, like the particle accelerator just got them. And like something's different. Guys, you're gonna have to follow me for this one. Some of you saw it, some of you didn't. I did. Like, or you're in the car with your cousin who happens to be Hulk, and then you get in a car accident, and like you get a cut, like he gets a cut, and then all of a sudden you have the Hulk's blood in you, and now you're the Hulk, or the She-Hulk. Right, like that's like a, a particular way of seeing how stories go. Like there's something smack dab in the middle of your story. And these stories aren't super helpful for models for us. Like maybe you can like see why. Because it waits, it seems like we're just waiting for something to come into our lives. It's like waiting for like a calling text for like a very, very long time. Like, nope, a spider's still, you know, you don't have the bite. Nope, you're not in a car with the Hulk. No, the particle accelerator has not come for you yet. It's still loading. Your calling is still loading and still loading. And I think some of you are like, dude, like back off. Like I do feel that about my calling. Like this is like a little bit painful right now. And there's gonna be something for you here. So keep listening. I think calling, like actual calling, is different than what I'm describing. Here's a definition of calling from the glorious Miriam Webster. One, a strong inner impulse towards a particular course of action, especially when accompanied by conviction of divine influence. Two, the vocation of or profession in which one customarily engages. Three, the characteristic cry of a female cat in heat. I talked to Tina, I was like, please, can I, just like, Tina, I think I should just keep that in there. I don't want to crop it. It's just kind of amazing. So we're not going to talk about three today, in case you were wondering. And I think two is something we can get a little bit confused around. Like, we think our calling is only our job. Like, what we do for money, the thing that is maybe our trade. I really like number one. I was kind of surprised, like, that was in the dictionary. Um, a strong inner impulse towards a particular course of action, especially when accompanied by conviction of divine influence. It's not good for us to confuse vocation with simply a job. We've all met teachers who hate instructing others. Like we've had some of those teachers, like our fourth grade teacher, remember? Like that wasn't a good year, right? We've met doctors who dislike people, the people they are trying to heal, right? We've met those people. I, see, there's some nods, okay. Well, and we've met many folks, for the jobs they do, it's just for money. It's not what they feel called to do. On the other hand, we've met people who are healers. Sometimes they're nurses, sometimes they're not. We've met lovers of children, young and old, that help kids become who they're meant to be. Sometimes they're parents. We've met folks who love to serve others, not just being on a support staff. We've met people that kind of dive deeper into what feels like a calling that helps them come 
alive. Now with that baseline information, here's some really good news for us. The good news is we're all called to be kids of the kingdom, to be beloved children of God, and that's our foundation. Sometimes we get kind of a mistake in this calling teaching where we're like, so go forth and find like the thing you're supposed to do. And we forget that the first thing is we're called simply to be kids. We're called to be beloved children. We're called to rest in God's love. And everything else actually comes out of that. Like it's a bad thing to find something that you feel like is a specific calling and lose your status as a child of God because you're hustling, you're striving. We can actually rest from that place of who God has made us in his image, beloved children. And also, there's something about our calling that actually has been put into us. We don't have to just like find it somehow like it's outside of us. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we may walk in them. We're looking for something that God's already prepared. We don't need to wait for a spider bite. We're actually asking God to reveal something that he's already put in us. Sometimes we forget that, though. In the story we'll look at today, it's easy to forget that this story, the story of the Exodus, the story of Moses, is more than just some of those big moments. Like calling happened only when Moses started to part the Red Sea. I'm glad that's not the case. Or maybe calling only happened when Moses received tablets from the Lord. Or maybe just any like moment of climax from like the movie, The Ten Commandments, right? Moses got a movie, the greatest event in motion picture history. But I'm so glad that when you read this story, you see calling at work way before any of these moments. And that's the thing I hope you'll take away today is that God is at work in the story of your calling, even in the beginning, even from the beginning. That's true of Moses, and the scripture actually gives us like a, a long window to see that. Like there's a while before we start like the story that the movie shows. There's much more information we get about Moses and his story. I think that's true of you too. Maybe you're struggling with calling, you haven't found it, Maybe you're wondering, is this the right one? Maybe you just want to know more that God has called you to something versus you just doing something that you want, even something that feels like it's good right now. But there's a way that when we know our story, we can see more what we're called to do. We can share that with other people to bless them, just like we talked about last week. And also, we can see it in the stories of others. And I love doing this, hearing people's stories and seeing, oh, I feel like I have a sense of what God might have called that person to do and then to humbly share it. And I love doing that with people who follow Jesus and also with people who don't. Turns out uh, a lot of people, whether they're religious or not, want to know what they're supposed to do or meant to do or what they come alive doing. I think you can get into like so many conversations with strangers. Just say, I think you come alive. I see you come alive when that happens. People are really engaged in that. So God's at work in your story, in your calling, even from the beginning. Let's pray that he would help us see that more today. God, would you come with your power, with your spirit? Would you help us know who we are? Thank you that we can rest assured that we're beloved children of yours. And thank you that you've prepared good works before we've even known you. And thank you that those add up into a calling 
a shape of a life that we can hear from you about. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Amen. So the beginning of this Moses story, for those of us that might not have seen the movie or that need a little bit of a refresher, it's taking place after a time of prosperity for the Hebrew people. They've actually like, excelled and prospered through another story that's a story of Joseph, another person that God used to bless people around them, including people across ethnic difference, across national difference. So things were looking good until they weren't. The people grew prosperous and prosperous, and all of a sudden, the Egyptians said, there's too many Hebrews. We've got to do something so that this threat, potential threat, because nothing bad had even happened, won't become real. So the government said, we're going to decide to kill every baby boy so this people does not grow to be strong. That was the order of the day. And then courageous women, midwives, Moses' mom, Moses' sister, all conspired to send Moses down the river on this little basket. And what happened? He was seen by Egyptian royalty. This person took him in as her own, and she needed some people to help care for him. Who'd she pick? Moses' mom, Moses' sister. An act of God, an act of favor, an act of rescue. And then Moses, who's a Hebrew kid, becomes kind of a mixed race ethnic background because his background is being raised in the Egyptian court. That's where we start our story. We're gonna look at the first scripture and I want you guys to notice patterns or themes. I'll read it for us. Exodus chapter two, verses 11 through 15. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and saw their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he said to the one who was in the wrong, why do you strike your fellow Hebrew? He answered, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. Do you guys see any patterns or themes? This is real. Violence. Where do you see it? All over. Want to just point out real quickly? <laughs> Moses killing someone, kind of a big deal. Where else do you see it? Two people are fighting. Anywhere else? Pharaoh orders Moses to be killed. So there's actually like these three punctuations of violence. Violence from the Egyptians to the Hebrews. Violence from Moses to the Hebrews, or to the Egyptians. The Hebrews to one another. And then, again, Pharaoh seeking to kill Moses. And there's this interesting pattern, too, of what is seen. Moses saw their forced labor it's one of the first times where it says, like, Moses saw his people. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian. Then the next day he sees again two Hebrews fighting. And then the last thing he's aware of is something is known. Something becomes known. And then he flees. 
there's something interesting about this, where Moses is seeming to have like these like revelatory moments that involve what he sees that I think he hadn't seen before. There's something about him growing up, but also you can almost get the sense of anger. There's something like that he's frustrated with that is revelatory. And obviously he does something wrong here in killing someone, but it seems like there's other things at work. Like he didn't have a person to talk to, he didn't have a community. He didn't have a way to express like what he was going through. And so it's almost like it like came out in this kind of frustrated anger and he kills someone. But there's a bigger story going on here. I wonder for us, what were our first formation moments of seeing something? Maybe even something scandalous like this. Like if you think about the first third of your life, like what did you see? What did you see that made you angry? What did you see that made you want to get involved? And what did you do with what you saw? For Moses, it's this injustice for his people. And it's easy to see this as like a story of failure. But I think another way we can see it is in Moses' failure, we're starting to see the shape of his calling. It's important that the failure didn't stop the calling. In fact, I think it revealed more than anything else that had happened in his life so far. It was like a revealing event. For you, what do you think happens when you fail? Do you think there's something that you can learn from? Because you need to know your calling is still happening when you fail. Your calling is still happening when you're low. Your calling is something that's actually happening inside of you. And you can actually maybe realize it a lot more when you fail versus when you succeed. When your back is against the wall, when you have to do something different. A lot of you know some of my story in terms of growing up and uh, my, my childhood and getting bullied. And I often share that part of the story. What I don't share as often, and I don't know why, uh, maybe it's just I share the negative thing, but that kind of pushed me to not really be involved and do a lot of stuff in my school because I didn't want an experience of kind of having that happen more, getting bullied. So actually what I did was I, I partnered with different organizations or went to different places to actually express some of what I felt I had inside. I wouldn't have said it that way. I was just like, looking for things to do. So I like, worked at the local YMCA. I started something called the Team Leadership Committee that like, did service and different things. I started a radio show. I'm like, I don't even know how I would start a radio show now. But I did that as a kid because I was just looking like, for like, a community to build or a gift to express or to do something. And I realized that like, part of what was happening then is like, something was in me that I just like, had to do. And, like, I couldn't do it at school, so I was like, trying to find other ways of doing it. And I wonder for you, if you look at the first third of your life, and you, if you saw something, that got you stirred up. Maybe you had an experience of failure. But when your back was against the wall, you just actually did more of your calling, more of your story. It just wasn't as a high moment, but it was actually maybe at a low moment. Let's look more at Moses' story to see if we can find some more patterns. This happens right after. It's just the next verse. So Moses fled from Pharaoh. He settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. The priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. But some shepherds came and drove them away. Moses got up and came to their defense and watered their flock. When they returned to their father Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come back so soon today? They said, An Egyptian helped us against the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Where is he? Why did you leave the man? Invite him to share a meal. 
Moses agreed to stay with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah in marriage. She bore a son, and he named him Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien residing in a foreign land. I'm guessing you're seeing some more themes here. I'm going to point them out for you right now. We get this story of running. Moses fled from Pharaoh. But then he moves, and there's another conflict right away. I think Moses is looking for the quiet life. He doesn't find it. He actually instantly goes into another situation of conflict where these shepherds are hurting these women. And Moses got up and came to their defense and watered their flock. They said, an Egyptian, interesting, right, that they're naming him that way, an Egyptian helped us against the shepherds. He even drew water for us. And then Moses agreed to stay in this other new cross-cultural setting. And what does he name his child? I have been an alien residing in a foreign land. He's almost like getting another context to his story. I've been a Hebrew person in an Egyptian land, and my son is still a stranger in a foreign land. Sometimes we think our calling stops when we retreat, when we run, when we get away. It's not true. Our calling is happening inside of us. There's so many stories, especially of this place, the Elm City Vineyard, where we've seen people like act as if God would take a break when they come here. Well, I'm in New Haven now for something, a job, a program to get away, cheaper rent. It used to be more that way. It still is a little bit. And then they feel like because they're away on retreat, God will leave them alone. Some of you are smiling and looking at me as if maybe that's your story. I won't point anyone out. But you know that wasn't the case. God started moving when you thought you were on retreat. God reminded you of something that actually happened when you were in an off season. Because it turns out your calling is still the same, whether it's when you fail or retreat. I remember this story of someone who said, I've given up pastoring, I'm done, I'm coming here on a break, I'm just going to teach. We said, okay. They started to get a little bit more involved. They started to kind of advise and counsel some people, both in this church and others. Where they were uh, teaching at school, they started to mentor and care for other uh, teachers. And then all of a sudden, they kind of admitted, hey, there's some issues with my spiritual life. Like, I, I need to really grow. Like, I've stopped praying. They kind of confessed that. They're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. And then years passed. They just were part of our community. And then they felt like, okay, I feel like God's calling me to pastor again, to like go back into that season. And we kind of acted like we weren't surprised because it was just the thing that was happening. He just didn't need to have the job of pastor. He didn't need to have a title. It was happening amongst us in the body. And then he went out and pastored. And actually, that didn't go so well. But then he found another context where it went better. He's like, well, I'm glad that I learned to stick it out when it was hard. I'm glad I heard who I was when I wasn't doing the thing, but I was doing the thing, if you catch my drift, because I knew it didn't matter if I failed that first time of going out, because I kind of felt called more than just I had a job. Sometimes we think we can retreat from God, but actually, God doesn't take a retreat from us. He still is showing who we are. He's still trying to point out what our calling is whether we're failing, whether we're in a retreat. This is good news for us, because it means we can know something not at a moment of height or climax, 
the Red Sea is parted. Nope. It can even just be looking back your first third of life, maybe even looking through your greatest failures. I'm sure your calling is right around there. It's important for us to realize that our stories have a context. Your calling has a context. I love the little break in this passage that says this. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Their cry for help rose up to God from their slavery. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon them and Israelites, and God took notice of them. Our calling has a context. Like It's the lives that we're leaving. It's, it's the, the things that we're seeing around us. It mattered that this was happening in the lifetime of Moses. Because if you can catch it, Moses is a rescuer. He's someone who brings freedom. He's someone who notices injustice. And this is his context. So his calling's probably gonna be intermingled and interwoven with that. What's the thing that you're passionate about that you feel called to? And you're wondering like, is this a time to care, to pursue, to do good work? It's funny. Sometimes there's stories of people's lives, and we see these small little moments where everything changed. I don't know if you guys know the story of Mother Teresa and kind of how she felt called into her work, but she felt called first to be close to God and to give her life over to God through uh, being a nun in service of the Lord. But then actually she was just there, kind of in uh, her religious orders, and she kept seeing through the window poverty outside of where she was, outside of her convent. She said, I think I'm called there, and that's what started her journey. He's literally just looking outside the window and saying, I think I'm getting some things right. I think being a nun, like, I, that's good. I'm being a sister is, but she was like, it needs to be over there. I don't know if you know MLK's kind of origin story call, but he actually lived a pretty comfortable life, middle-class life in Atlanta. But then he went to a place where he saw people not want to play with him anymore because he was black. And that started a journey for him. But he was pretty comfortable at first. But then something awakened. His context mattered. The last thing that I want to share before we continue our worship service is that God does speak to us and interrupt us with calling. It's not just we have to be detectives about our failures, really mindful we're on retreat. God is God, and God will find us and pursue us even in strange ways. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was too afraid to look at God. I just want to say one thing before we continue the scripture. One of the things that's really fascinating about the story is, because it's Moses, and then we think a lot, oh, like Moses is like this worshiper of God, and he's so connected to God. I really think in this moment, this could be Moses' moment to actually see the living God for who God is. Like he's reminding him, this is the God of your father, the God of Abraham. This is the person who was like serving at the Egyptian courts. Like he was royalty. I don't think he really knew this God. 
the same way his mom did, the same way his sister did. And I think the story gets so much richer when you see it that way. Moses being called and led even before he knows who God is. Think about our stories and just what that would mean for us if we're called and led even before we know Jesus. The stories of your neighbors, your classmates, they're being called and led. And God introduces who God is. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he's saying, I'm your God too. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. Now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He finally gets this clarifying call, saying, this is what you were to do. And Moses says, who am I? as if he hasn't been that guy that killed an Egyptian because he was so passionate about this. That when he saw his people fighting with each other, he said, don't do that. He's trying to lead his people then. The guy that when he saw this conflict in the wilderness said, I can solve this, I I can help. Who is he? The person he's been all along. But this spiritual moment seems to intimidate him because he's lost his confidence. He's insecure. He hasn't felt invited by God, but maybe confronted perhaps for some of his moral failings, perhaps because he was on a retreat, perhaps because he he left and he was confused. He didn't know how to talk to his Egyptian family, his Hebrew family. But God says to him, this is how you'll know, because you're going to do it. Isn't that who God is? (laughs) This is how you'll know, Moses, because you're called and you're going to do your calling. I wonder for you, who here has calling stirring around in their heart? And who just needs some confidence from God? Maybe it's through an encounter. Maybe it's through God meeting you in mercy so you know that your failure is not how God sees that. Maybe it's in knowing that when you thought you were withdrawn, God was right there and close. God speaks to us into our callings. He speaks into our callings. We get his voice. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up Because this is a great moment to both seek God for prayer, to seek God for what he's saying over us, and to worship God. God surprises us all the time. I think about even our community that sometimes surprises people with a call to stay in New Haven a call to really put down roots here, a call that comes from even the prophet Jeremiah, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. There's ways God interrupts us and gives us a context for our calling. I hope you can know that your calling is happening when you fail, when you retreat, that it's gonna be connected to your story and that God speaks to you.
So I want us to get curious now about how God is speaking and what God might be saying to us as a gathered body. I want to just invite you to have a posture of openness to hearing the voice of God. We'll have a time of uh, prayer ministry next and some worship, but let's lean in just to listening to God's voice. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would come. First, God, I pray for us to know who we are as your child. I get the sense for some of us that's where we need to land today, that we are your child. That we're your child and that you're with us. I just encourage anyone who is feeling that invitation just to simply pray, like, God, give me your love. You can say it out loud. You can say it quietly. But just say, God, give me your love. Show me who I am as your kid. And then I feel like there's a group where that phrase, there's healing for your story. When you think about calling, it's that phrase, there's healing for your calling. And there's something about calling that's been fraught or hard. And the Lord just wants to heal and give you uh, a settledness. So that's you can just pray quietly or out loud to say, God, heal my calling. These are just invitations to talk to God. God, heal my calling. And we're going to have a time of prayer ministry. So if you're a prayer ministry, you can get up and move to this side of the room. But I just feel like uh, there's some people that even in the burning bush story, you're like, well, that's good for Moses. I haven't seen a burning bush in a while. And you just want God to speak to you. I feel like the Lord is here to speak to his people and actually taking a step. We're gonna have a time right uh, in a second where we're gonna hear some words that people have received. But also if you feel like you want more speech from God, even if you're not sure how that works or if you believe that, just encourage you to take a step uh, of faith and to pray with uh, a few people next. So we're going to have some more specific words from Jesse, and then we'll move into a time of worship.